0: Young, how you doing? Good, Becca. And the Offspring. How's it going, Becca? Dave Grohl, how you going, mate? Good, man. Pete, it's been a long time coming. Oh, Becca, hasn't it, indeed.
1: We go inside the dressing room, speak to the biggest names in music.
0: Keith Richards, the Rolling Stones. And crack open their esky. <laughs> That's exactly how I imagined you, by the way, sitting opposite me with a vodka and orange. You're a discerning chap. This is... Is the writer. Yeah, this is Becca. I'm so excited. This is the final episode of The Rider for Season 3, and this is the guest since day one I've been trying to get the entire time. Matt Sorum, the drummer of Guns N' Roses, in the absolute heyday of Use the Illusions 1 and 2 and on from there. A legendary bloke with so many stories. He drummed for the cult. He's currently drumming for Billy Gibbons and even Billy Idol, and he has got... I wouldn't say a brand new project. Kings of Chaos have been playing for the last 12 years or so, but finally they have their debut song out. It sounds like this. This is Judgment Day. Slash, Duff, Matt Sorum on vocal. I mean, it is Guns N' Roses pretty much. Make sure to check it out now. It is on YouTube and all platforms. And also it's such a great chance to get this guy finally on the podcast. I met him for the first time over 12 years ago. He told me about the time that Axel Rose sacked him for the first time.
1: I remember I came home and I stopped by the liquor store and I walked in and I said, Axel just fired me. And I think this time it's for real. (laughs) (laughs) Because he had fired me many times before. Yeah. But, you know, and he used to call me too and say it like this you fire. in that in that classic voice. It was awesome. I wish I'd had it on Just play. like he could be
0: mine at the age. Day killer, were a killer,
1: man. I'm like I'm like but he would call back. He go, "See you at rehearsal tomorrow." I'm like, "Okay."
0: <laughs> you know, so
1: and it, it's a weird thing. It's like me and Axel had that. You know, me and Axel were like kind of like brothers. You know, I was one guy who would always kind of go up to him and tell him, "Hey, dude, what's up? What's up, bro? What's going down with you?" <laughs> you know. And in the end, uh, it was sort of like I kind of said, hey, come on, man. Let's just do the band with Slash. And he's like, no. And that was it.
0: And he talks more about that in the book Double Talk and Jive, which is out now. Matt Sorum also talked about one of the, the great feuds of all time. You might remember the MTV Awards when Nirvana and Guns N' Roses had a huge fight. Yeah!
1: Nirvana started a thing with us at the MTV Award, which basically started with uh, Dave Grohl went up to the microphone and said something I and mean, we had a big row backstage. Uh, it's kind of legendary but, you know, I went after Grohl, Duff went after the bass player, <laughs> Axel went after, you know, Anyone, in, in uh, retrospect, it was kind of funny because we were just all goofy, you yeah. know, we were all drunk and that's what made Rock and Roll great, you know, people want to hear those crazy fucking stories and, yeah. you know, all the mystery and, you know, backstage antics.
0: Matt Sorum, he is back with Kings of Chaos. His book is out now. There's a lot going on. He's left LA and moved to Palm Springs. We've got so much to talk about the next 30 minutes. Matt Sorum, it's so good to have you on the rider. It's been over 12 years. Can you believe it? How are you?
1: Yeah, that was for the opening of the Hard Rock or something. That
0: is, was a Hard Rock opening. I think uh, you came later on for for Stonefest when you brought Kings of Chaos here as well. Yeah. That was a good gig. Yeah, it was a good gig. And, um, it just shows, though, that that Kings of Chaos has been a passion of yours for a long time, and this is a big moment, you know, to come out with, uh, you know, your very first single. This is this is a big deal for you.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is.
0: I mean, you know, I was like, what's the first song going to be? And
1: for me, it was like, well, maybe it should be me on vocals and it's a barn burner. And, you know, back in the day when you used to release rock albums, you put out a rock track, you know? Yeah. The, the progression would be like the, the ripper you Know then the mid-tempo, then the ballad. That's how we used to do it. Remember Guns N' Roses, we dropped You Could Be Mine First. And I remember Axel says, Let's do Don't Cry second. I was like, Can we wait one more? You go, Don't cry, because that got real slow real quick. Yeah. Most records, like The Cult, when we were released Beyond Good and Evil, we came out with Rise. Remember, it was like wow <laughs> you know, just kind of in your face and it's like celebratory and just rocking. So I was like, oh, this has the right intent. That's, <laughs> you know, so that's what we went with.
0: Yeah, Judgment Day, it's definitely got something. I mean, it it it's definitely got that, um, you know, the Guns N' Roses roots to it and so it should. I mean, look at the the lineup on the song. I mean, you know, uh, how, how long ago did you write it with with the guys? So you had help with what Slash and well, Duff. It's been a minute
1: that we, I've had the song and I've always loved it. Yeah, before they started touring with GNR, they cut that with me back in my studio in in Hollywood. And I had this little studio called Drac Studios, named after my black lab. And it wasn't a big studio, and it was a demo place. We recorded a lot of Velvet Revolver demos there and just super fun to hang out in. And guys would always come over, and we wrote a lot of songs in there. And that, what you hear on that track, is us just rocking like live and it's not overdub Slash's solo is live. And I remember him playing it. I think all those takes are like one time through straight take, no pro tools. And there's a beauty to that. You know, it's got that sound. It's got that dangerous sound of like, you don't know if it's going to fall off the tracks (laughs) or, you know, It's got this wild abandon to it, which I always loved about early GNR, even before I was in the band. And that Bell Revolver thing a little bit, which we had, especially when we cut Contraband, we had this sort of extra angst to it. So beside it being a song of its whatever nature that you decide you want to put it in, if it's good or fun or whatever it is, it's cool to listen to. It's got this energy that I liked, and uh, that was important. And I just went in there and wailed on it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, pretty that's the, and it's you on lead vocal, which is a big step as well. Uh, but you, you, you seem pretty comfortable with that. That's okay. Well, thank you. I mean, my
1: mother was a vocal te- teacher when I was a kid coming up. I was in choir. That is in choir type stuff. <laughs> I was always a singer in all my bands. As far as I can remember, I always liked to sing. So in the cult, I sang background vocals with Ian. When we sang Firewoman, I sang the harmony. When we sang Sweet Soul Sister, I was the guy singing the harmonies, not the other guys. And so I always liked to sing. Uh, that particular song, Judgment Day, I went at it a little bit more forceful and I brought out the gravel in my voice. Which I know how to get that crazy gravelly rock sound, you know, by hanging around guys like Sammy Hagar who can sing like that. Yeah. You can just bring this gravel out. So I just went in there and I said, "How am I going to approach this?" And I went in there and just just got my gravel, and then I sang the harmonies in the chorus more melodic, uh, and wrote these lyrics that were sort of initially. A driving song like highway star kind of vibe about you know rolling down the highway my 427 kind of thing but then I started thinking about the chorus and the metaphor of like spirituality so when I did the video I met I basically sat with the the director Brian Cox and we wrote this treatment that had to do with driving through life and then you know I got the demon tapping on my shoulder and the The siren girls coming after me, like, and that's kind of real life for me. (laughs) Like, trying to rope me back into the dark side, right?
0: Yeah. Well, when
1: my angel, Ace, my wife, is on the motorcycle pointing me in the right direction to my inner child, right? And I'm like, okay, this makes sense to me. We had to do that all within the budget of Hummus Dip on November 8th, right? So it was like, let's see how we can pull this off at a very limited budget.
0: It definitely reminded me of one of those uh, film clips you'd see late night on TV um, when, they, when they play the music videos. And I, and I was thinking it's uh, it accompanied the song perfectly. Going into the, the, the studio, by the way, with those guys, because, you know, these are guys that you've recorded with so many times over the years. Um, is it like you're just riding a bike? You just kind of slot in, you know, exactly what your role is? And-
1: we never have a conversation about any of that, you know. Um, when we did... Work on that song, which is you know quite a few years ago, and we could do it tomorrow and be the same. It because the chemistry of the two of Slash and Duff and the way they played together has always remained the same throughout Guns N' Roses' "Indevel Revolver." They're they're like two peas in a pod, and then you know Dave Kushner came in and put this a little bit of a fairy dust on it, right? And then my role was as a drummer. This isn't Guns and Roses, Velvet Belt Revolver. And the time Belt Revolver came out, there was bands like Queens of the Stone Age resonating. Obviously, the Foo Fighters are big. Rhythmically, things were different. They weren't this retro rock thing. It was more punky, it was more driving. You know, if you listen to Queens, it's very driving. So, those representations, of what was happening in the music world at the time Belt Revolver was getting ready to make that record was in my psyche as a drummer. And I had to bring the rhythm. So between us, we all just played that way. And it became our sound, right? Wasn't G&R. It was different. It was a different sound. So I'm very proud of that, because we were able to create something new out of a band that was very well represented already. Yeah, yeah. And that always sort of stayed the same at that point going forward, if that makes sense. If we were to jump back into GNR shoes, that would be that. Or if I was to jump on stage with a Colt, that's that. Right? You have to wear a little bit different of a hat. And when I play with Billy Idol, that hat is completely different than Billy Gibbons. When I'm playing with Billy Idol, we're playing dancing with myself at 166 BPM, which is fast. The hi hat's tight and it's forward, it's on top. Billy Gibbons is laid back swing right so as a drummer it's very educational for me to do all of it it's like it's like a smorgasbord of rhythm right and that's that's the amazing gift of my life i've been able to have all these experiences with all these musicians i'm not a one-trick pony i could jump in tomorrow with whatever band and go hey it's a shuffle got it you know so that's my education coming through all these different metamorphoses of musicians I've been blessed to be on stage with and we're in the studio.
0: Yeah, and, and reading, you know, Double Talk and Jive, it was um, it was clear that you, you know, you're you're a bit of a workaholic. You, and and it's obviously a learning experience with every single band or every single artist you work with. I mean, you were working with Billy Gibbons uh, you know, not too not too long ago with his solo album as well. So uh, you know, you're you're working bloody hard. This is all coming with Leaving L.A. and well, you yeah, went to Palm I mean, the, Springs is, and Baby complete, and everything? Completely
1: educational in the fact that that's, it's blues rock.
0: Did you have to re repatch any relationships going into the studio again with Slash and Duff? Because I remember reading in the book that things were were sort of uncomfortable, um, well, the Hall of Fame, and then going into the reunion. Did you have to have any conversations with them just to patch things up and smooth things over, even just for yourself?
1: No, because we, you know we're like brothers like that. You know, life happens. There's certain things that just go a certain way. And, you know, for anybody that has this sort of issue in their life of anything that happens to them, of course, there's those early moments of like, oh man, what was that? We all go through it. You know, something happens and it's like, I didn't expect that or this or that. And we all have that same thing. But then you have to learn that that's not where you're supposed to be. And that's just where you have to go. If you don't go there, you know, and then other things reveal themselves as life progresses, and that's that's aspects of things that you go, well, that that makes sense now. It always makes sense. And the older you get, and the more you learn, that that's the way life works. It's easier to get through the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing. So for me, I'm perfectly happy exactly where I am. I've got my kid, I got my wife, I got my own projects. I'm making a living. I'm doing very well uh spiritually and mentally and everything else. So that's really the pinnacle of happiness, right? So you never know, you're going to go into something that maybe isn't supposed to exactly be the way it, or are you going to be happy? Are you going to be making a lot of money? Sure, but are you happy? Now that's what I want. And that's what I'm seeking in my life is what makes me happy. And when that goes down like that, more cool stuff comes it's just a natural flow and i've i took me years to learn how to come up with that what i just told you like coming to palm springs was a whole transition for me and being in the desert leaving hollywood where i lived for 45 years thinking if i leave hollywood no one's going to remember me i'll be out of sight out of mind i'm out here stuff's happening more than ever people are like we're virtual now. The world's different. That's the coolest thing about my life. It's some One day I wake up and I pick up the phone. You know, hey, who's this? You know, different people call me out of the blue. I'm like, whoa, what are we doing? You know, I just got on a plane with Billy. We flew to Canada. We played. I came home.
0: It's great. I just saw you on the private so, jet on your socials. I don't know. I, I was thinking, you're cramming in a fair bit. I mean, uh, this is off the back of, you know, releasing a book earlier on this year as well, and that, that must have been a big um, experience, putting all your life together. And, um, you, you know, you've, you've had plenty of setbacks over the years, and it just feels like right now, as you're saying, you're looking as healthy and, and, and happy as possible, and it must have been really yeah. good putting that on paper <laughs> and digging up and maybe opening a few wounds along the way as well.
1: Uh, you know, the book was a tough one. You know i went through a lot of transitions with that and actually i as i see it now the whole process was a very healing process i would say i would ask anybody out there that's lived a crazy life like i have or not or just had stuff put it down on paper and then you're able to look at it and go whoa and you kind of work things out through the process of writing a book and it wasn't easy there was this and that and the other thing. And but when I got to the end of the road and everything's put behind me, it's like that. It's like it's put behind you. That's that part of your life. Now write the new chapter, right? What are you gonna do going forward? And now I got a kid that's one and a half years old. My goal in life is to try to stay alive as long as possible. <laughs> right? Cause it's it's like I want to be here for her. I want to be, you know, alive and take care of myself. And that wasn't always my thought process. I was like, <laughs> live a lot, live fast, die young kind of shit. Rock and roll, rock and roll. Right? There's a different intention. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. And it was, it was yeah. excess living as well. I mean, I remember the stories he kept telling me about, you know, you, you, you were just, you know, doing all these tours and, and just spending all your money. You, you weren't saving anything on each of these tours as well. You're just pissing it away, buying multiple sports cars uh, you had parked out the front. I think you told me you had, was it three or four of the same car in different colours at one stage? <laughs> I mean, it's insane. What a life. Just two. <laughs> yeah, just two. It's two, two, two black Porsche. <laughs> the
1: joke was it's going to be in the book, right? That was the joke. But. Yeah, I was a bit rock and roll 101 at some points in my life, but it's like it was fun. I needed to do it that way. If I didn't do it that way, I wouldn't have that experience I dreamt of as being, being this guy as a kid. You know, I grew up with Keith Moon, John Bonham, you know what I mean? It's like I wanted to live the life exactly how I expected it should be, and it was, right? A little bit too excess, of course, but now I've got a really good sort of, barrier and grounding of like where I went and where I you know I ended up I felt lucky I'm still alive but we did it to ex- excess because that's the way it was supposed to be done at that particular time especially GNR we were I always say it was like being on a pirate ship you know it was like but we were younger guys and you know there we were we were just out there <laughs> acting as crazy as we possibly could and getting away with it, you know? So perfect.
0: I remember um, that, that first interview we did, you know, 12 years ago, you're talking about the, the era of, you know, living in Hollywood and you would just go and hang out at the Rainbow Bar and Grill. And I I think a year later I had my, my next LA trip and I went there and I just sat there and sure enough people just showed up and Dave Grohl was there like a – uh an hour later you know and 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 i was just seeing the familiar faces coming and going and um it, it must have been an insane place in the late 80s when you were there in the early 90s uh hanging out of the rainbow
1: yeah yeah well the rainbow was like my living room for a long time yeah. you know i used to go, i used to go to the rainbow in the 70s when i was a kid i used to go to hollywood you know it's in my book and i used to go in there i remember sneaking in there when i was like 17 18 years old and I was like a baby, you know, but Mario, the guy that ran the joint, he was such a cool guy. He used to take care of me and give me chicken soup and said, kid, you're skinny. You need to eat. And years later, he was like my father figure. Cause my dad, I was close to my dad, but he didn't live in California. And I was on my own. I was here. I was a teenager living in Hollywood and on my own. And, having the time of my life i didn't care i didn't have a pot to piss in you know I would, you know rub two nickels together to try to get a beer you know what i mean and later on when i got successful i started becoming a bit of an alcoholic and i remember going in there one night and mario sit me down and took me in his back office and here i was in, in guns and roses being a drunk and he he reprimanded me he told me looking look, look I don't like the way this you're turning out with this with the success. You know, you need to be grateful, you need to get together and da, 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 da. I really looked up to him and he, he let me have it, you know.
0: And I cleaned up for a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean I'd, uh, I'd, I'd see photos of, of you just, just for the Use Your Illusion era, you know, and you were you're a, a different person. I you know, I, I I don't even recognize you when I see the poster on the wall of um you on yeah. drums? You you know you were you were bloated. You you were a big
1: bloke. Funny when you do that many drugs and you drink that much, you look in the mirror and you actually think you look okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if I would have had photographs shown to me, I might have realized how bad I I did look in those days. Because mm. we were we were, look at Duff. He was the same way. Me and him were drinking buddies, and we would throw a lot of booze down. Typically, when I get You know, I haven't drank in 15 years, but when I drink, it just goes right to my face. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) and my hair was crazy. And it was like, you know, I was not healthy, basically. So I, uh, people say to me now, man, you look better than you did 30 years ago. I'm like, well, should have been there 30 years ago. I was like, you know.
0: You must must think, looking back on that, you can't believe Duff lived through that era. You can't believe you lived through that era as well, but especially Duff. Yeah, I mean, we were all hitting it pretty hard, and
1: he was, you know, he was up there for sure, but we all did. I mean, it just was, like I said, it was the time. It was the energy. It was a lot of pressure around us. We, We didn't talk about the pressure. We just felt it a little bit. That was our way of cutting loose, and we felt obligated in some respects to the party like that, I guess. I mean, it was like, not that he said, hey, I, we have to drink because we're waving the flag. It wasn't that. It was just, it's just what it was. And the party was wherever we were. Everyone wanted a party with GNR, Bell Revolver, whatever band came through town. You know, if it's Sunday night in Poughkeepsie, New York, and you're coming through town, that's the biggest night of their lives but you've already done two years of that every night in every town. I just never wanted to miss anything. I felt like if I stayed in my room, what the fuck am I going to do in my room? Some of it was sheer boredom. I just want to be out. I just want to enjoy life. I want to create more memories. Billy Gibbons says this to me all the time. We were in a fucking van driving from Dallas to Oklahoma the other day. We stopped at some crazy, like, it's like a walmart kind of thing and we're going in there there we are i'm walking through there with billy gibbons and everyone's looking at him is that zz top he's like matt god don't you love this life i go yeah because we're just creating memories man it's what we do like people too he understands that person that just saw him is gonna go in this small town in the middle of nowhere and I go. You're not going to believe what I saw in that store, Billy really Gibbons. And he says hi to people, and he creates a lot of memories for a lot of people walking through places. And he waves, and they say, "Hi." I never thought about it that way. You know, you're bringing a lot of joy into people's lives when you have that experience. And we <laughs> we were in Ardmore, Oklahoma, this little burg. He decides we're going to go buy two pies at his place called the Hamburger Outlet. It's a little mom and pop. We walk in there. People are like, oh my God. He buys pies. The girl said to Billy, I'm having a hard time keeping this place afloat. You know, it's especially during the pandemic, we're just getting back on our feet. He goes, Give me four pies. I want four now. Give me, I want t shirts. Give me 10 t-shirts. It's like. (laughs) Then he invites everybody to the show. Yeah. Blowing minds. And I look at him, I'm like, you're the dude. And that's kind of the way I like to do shit, too. Yeah.
0: Well, he's an ambassador. You're an ambassador of yourself and your band. And it is a great way of looking at it. I mean, you.
1: No reason to be a dick. It's like, wait. You've been given in this road of rock and roll in this life and that where does that come from that comes from fans that comes from fans of your music comes from people sort of supporting you in this metaphoric sort of vehicle right and all you got to do when you see people is just give them a, you know and i've seen the opposite and i'm like oh god it's not necessary it takes more time and energy to be negative about fan reaction or fan well, yeah. it
0: must be disappointing sometimes when uh, you meet um, those those musicians who you looked up to over the years and, and they end up being a massive, massive asshole, I guess. And, <laughs> and that's what I say, don't, never meet your idols. Yeah. You know, other times they're great. They? That's true. But you were saying about, um, you know, people always wanted to party with, you know, with whatever band it was, Velvet Revolver or Guns N' Roses. I remember the, the story about the Use the Illusion tour coming to Sydney in Melbourne and between those two gigs which were insane, by the way, uh, you went to Cairns. And people were flying to North Queensland just to party with the band. And I think even the owner of this bar was putting the word out and saying, hey, come to Cairns. We've got Guns N' Roses playing every night because out of sheer boredom yeah. you were playing there in this small bar. Every- well, we took, a, we took a break
1: there and we hold up down there. And I remember we had we all had rented condos and and there was this little club that we go down to every night and it was like yeah we were like the word was out that we were there and we were coming in and became our watering hole for that couple weeks that we were there and I remember even to this day um Duff Space Tech Mike Mike Mayhew met his wife there and they're still married and they have two kids (laughs) <laughs> we met a lot of cool people and had a lot of fun down there. It was a good time.
0: What was the story you told me about you got a chopper and you went up to go water skiing and you you, you found a house or something and it had like a whole stash of wine and you discovered this new love of Australian red wine, Penfolds I think yeah, it was.
1: We decided to go water skiing and had found a lake. We had to go through that forest there it's got all those deadly animals in it jungle i should say Yeah. yeah. i mean uh, australia has what how many deadly
0: species oh there'd they, be probably over 100 that uh and more they're probably rediscovering new ones as well 100
1: like <laughs> deadly spiders and deadly snakes so anyway we're flying over this jungle in this helicopter and the pilot says oh we got a problem with our engine we're going to have to land. And we're over this jungle where he's just told us there's 100 deadly species, right? And we're like, so we land. He sees this outback house, like, a, you know, this in the middle of the jungle. So we land on this open patch of land. And we go into this, this house. The door's open. There's nobody there. We knock. And it's kind of like just this, this weird cabin. But they had this, this, this like wine cellar in there with like pen in there. We drank the wine, the Australian wine. It's great wine. And we pulled a couple bottles out and we drank it. We sat there while. It, and the weather was real foggy too. That was another issue. We got down there and parked for a minute. And I remember we left money in a note and we signed our, you know, it was in Baton Dove. And then we ended up getting back on the helicopter and we landed over we went over the jungle, landed by this lake, and we went water skiing. Had Duffer rented his boat way out in the middle of nowhere. We water skied all day, and then we got back and flew back to Khan.
0: Karn. Khan? Cairns. Cairns. <laughs> what a fun time. Well, Matt, um, it was so good to, to obviously read the book, and that that's out now, Double Talk and Jive, but also. Kings of Chaos, the big final. You know, finally you got it out there, and it's just so exciting to hear your voice over those uh, incredible riffs and that that it's just an incredible driving song. Uh, Judgment Day, uh, Matt. So bloody happy for you. You're looking great. Congratulations on the baby as well, and uh, we, we we will make sure we drag you back here real soon.
1: Thanks for finally getting together. It was
0: great. Yeah. It's Thanks, been, man. It's been good. Thanks, man. Well, there we go the legendary Matt Sorum from Guns N' Roses on The Rider you don't understand I've been waiting so long to finally catch up with him his book is out Double Talk and Jive and also Kings of Chaos their debut single is out now thank you so much for listening to The Rider this season was a big one Vance Joy Frankie from the Darkness Amy Shepard Ori Anthony Gavin Rossdale What's So Not Jim Kerr from Simple Minds Sarah McLeod Mark Opitz, Chris O'Brien from Good Things and Soundwave. You can catch up on all of those now on all platforms. Time to take a break. Have a Merry Christmas. And I'll see you next year. This is The Rider with Becco.